study, and it's actually being done in conjunction with 24 other churches in central Illinois. It's called Room for Doubt, and that's just a little teaser video to give you an idea of what the series is all about. Next week, if you are here in your bulletin, you will have invitation cards, and we are hoping that you will reach out to people in your life. Uh, We have lots of these invitation cards. I have some that are available today. And if there are people that you know that just for whatever reason they object to the faith, they have questions about the faith, they've never really felt like they got straight answers, um, on Sunday morning and through small groups and Sunday school classes, we are going to be tackling these questions. So I have these. You can see me after the service. Again, we'll hand them out next week. But please be praying, not just for our church, but the 24 other Central Illinois churches that are a part of this uh, series that launches three weeks from today. Today, we have a ministry team fair that's going on in the Family Life Center. So when we wrap up this morning, I hope you will make your way to the Family Life Center, especially if you're not plugged in and serving in some capacity. Lots of different ministries are being highlighted. Next week, the FCC Block Party will take place on Sunday evening from 5 to 7 p.m. on September 6th. Professor Steve is going to be with us on Sunday morning, and uh, he's going to be doing a program specially designed for grade school students, and that will take place in the First Kids area. Uh, If you know grade school students, kindergarten through fifth grade, they will be blessed by what's going to happen Labor Day weekend at 9.30 a.m. at our church. And then finally, my most important announcement, and go ahead and put this announcement up on the screen, please. Tomorrow night, uh, we are having an all-church prayer gathering beginning at 6.30 p.m., Uh, Our church is in uh, the midst of a very difficult season right now, and uh, just would love to invite all of you to come and join us. I will be there. Many of our leaders will be there, Um, and the agenda is really simple, just to pray and to ask God to lead God's church and to help us during this time. Um, I don't have much of a report to share with you, but did want you to know that Kent Hickerson was at church today, and it was awesome to see him there, and conversations continue as we try to, to bring about reconciliation Uh, during this time. So pray with us tomorrow night, but please make this a matter of prayer moving forward. Um, In Luke chapter 14, we see uh, Jesus eating a meal in the home of what the text says is a prominent Pharisee. And what's that mean? That means this guy was a big deal. Um, People thought he was a big deal. He probably thought he was a big deal. And so he invited a lot of people to come to his house. He was a religious leader of the day. And Jesus is part of this gathering. And, And following the give and take, and you can read about that meal if you want to, the first 14 verses of Luke chapter 14. But in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is asked a question. Um, actually more of, a, more of a statement than a question, someone around the table looks at Jesus and says, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Kind of making this proclamation, um, seeing what Jesus will do, seeing what Jesus will say. And if you're new to the faith or you've not spent a lot of time reading your Bible, that's okay, but you may not seem to think that that's really a relevant proclamation to make. What's it mean, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God? It actually is a concept that during Jesus' time was almost 700 years old. During the time of the prophet Isaiah, and I'm talking like 650 B.C., during this time, Isaiah wrote about a banquet that was to come, a feast that was to come. And it's during Isaiah's time that God's people are are really discouraged. God's people are really downtrodden. There's not a lot of hope 
for God's people. The northern kingdom of Israel, they've been destroyed by the nation of Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah, it's getting ready to happen to them by the Babylonians. And God's people are on the run, and God's people are afraid, and God's people are wondering, is God angry with us? The answer is yes. You read through the book of Isaiah, there's a lot of wrath from the Lord being poured out on His people. But in the midst of this, in chapter 25 of Isaiah, we find these words. It says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forevermore. Do you notice anything about that scripture that's up on the screen? I want you to notice the word all. It's it's rich food for all the peoples. He's going to destroy the shroud that enfolds all the peoples, the sheet that covers all the nations. See, this is Old Covenant in Isaiah chapter 25, and here's what Old Covenant means in this context. It means if you're God's people, you're good to go, but if you're outsiders, you don't have any hope. And in the New Testament, they call the outsiders the Gentiles. But if this, at this point in Isaiah chapter 25, if you're not an insider, you're an outsider. And if you're an outsider, there's no hope. You're either part of God's people or you're hopeless. And yet right here, Isaiah is talking about a time to come. Isaiah is talking about a, a time to come that God's not going to hire a caterer. God is going to prepare the food himself. And it's not going to matter if you're you're just part of God's nation, Israel, or God's nation, Judah. It's food for all the people. It's hope for all the people. It's hope for all the nations. The shroud that covers, the sheet that covers, that's a symbolism of death. Isaiah is basically saying death is going to be no more. So for 700 years, even though times were tough for God's people, they always talked about the banquet. They always talked about the feast. They always talked about the hope that was to come. So when this stranger, we don't even know his name, when he asked Jesus to to, to weigh in on this idea that blessed is the man that's going to eat at the feast, he has no idea where Jesus is going to go with this. And where Jesus goes is with the parable of the great banquet. The parable of the great banquet. So let's read that together beginning with verse 15. Luke chapter 14, it says, When one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. We've been there. Jesus replied with a parable, and he said, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Quick time out. Back in the day, first century world, If you lived in a faith community, when there was a banquet, when there was a feast, when there was a celebration, um, you didn't necessarily go through and say, okay, I'm going to invite these people, and you guys are out, and you guys in the back row are in, and you people over there. That wasn't the case. The community was invited to be a part of the gathering, the celebration, the feast, and the banquet. And they would say, three weeks from Saturday, the feast is coming. But the assumption was, if you're invited you're going to attend. 
unless something just crazy is happening and you're out of town for work or whatever it may be, you're, you're tending the flocks at night, you're going to be at the celebration. But when the feast was ready, when the food had been prepared, when the wine had been delivered, when it was time to gather, then the servant would go through the community and they'd say, okay, come on, let's go. The banquet is ready to go. 15 minutes, let's go. 30 minutes, let's go. It's banquet time. It's feast time. It's party time. So there were really two invitations that would go out. An invitation way ahead of time, and then the invitation, the food is ready. The wine is ready. It's time to go. So when Jesus tells this parable, people are connecting with this right away. Oh yeah, I get that. I understand that. What he says next is probably very troubling. Verse 18, but they, the people that have been invited, all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Three people said, thanks for the invitation. We knew we said we'd be there, but the reality is life has just gotten pretty busy. I just bought a field. I just bought five yoke of oxen. I just got married. I can't be there. What are they really saying? Something is more important than your invitation to the banquet. Something has higher priority than your invitation to the banquet. Jump down to verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And that's the parable of the great banquet. So this morning, a lot of different directions that we could go. I want to answer three questions for us this morning. Number one, what does the great banquet symbolize? Number two, what options do we have when we are invited to anything by anybody? And then number three, what are the consequences of the choices that we make? So let's dive in. What does the great banquet symbolize? Well, in a word, the great banquet symbolizes an invitation. This is not a hard parable to, to really try to figure out. This great banquet symbolizes an invitation. And it's not just any invitation. It's not just an invitation to a party. It's not just a, an invitation to pampered chef. It's not just an invitation. Do we do pampered chef anymore? Is that happening anymore? It is still happening. Okay. It's not an invitation along. This is the ultimate invitation. What this parable is symbolizing is God's invitation to you and to me. And what's that invitation look like? Well, it's an invitation of God's desire for an intimate relationship with Him. See, for too many people, the idea of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we can't wrap our brain around it. We just kind of see church as, it's that thing I do for an hour on Sunday morning. It's that community that I'm a part of, that, that I enjoy. It's where I go and do religious things. It's where I go and I sing. Maybe you never sing, 
except for one, one hour a week. And you just kind of say, well, church is the thing where I go and I sing. And no, that's not enough, God says. I don't want just an hour. I don't want just religious things. I want an intimate relationship with you. If you're like me, I don't like to expose myself to a, to a large group of people. I, I don't like to be intimate with people that I don't know. How many of you like me when someone says, how are you doing? What's your just kind of natural reaction? I'm doing great. Life's great. Everything's fine. And, you know, it's only the people that you really trust, that you really have a relationship with, that you can say, you know, life kind of stinks. Life's kind of hard. Life can be discouraging. And what I want you to understand by this invitation is that God wants an intimate relationship with you. Jesus Christ wants a personal relationship with you. God wants to know you. God wants to share your highs and your lows. Doing religious things isn't enough in the eyes of God the Father. That's the first thing that this invitation symbolizes. Secondly, it symbolizes God's desire to fill us with His life-renewing power. His invitation to fill us with His life-renewing power. In just a moment, when Morgan is baptized, I am going to say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And for a lot of people, this whole Holy Spirit thing, we get nervous and we wonder, are you going to do weird stuff? And I just, I, I, I just, I'm nervous when I hear Holy Spirit. And man, nothing could be or should be further from the truth when we hear Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is another counselor that's coming to help us, that's coming to work in us. And for too many of us, we're trying to live the Christian life all by ourselves. And we forget we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are truly not in this all by ourselves, And that's what this invitation symbolizes. And then finally, number three, it's an invitation of God's desire for us to fully embrace and fully engage His kingdom. His kingdom. That was a huge theme of Jesus' preaching and His teaching and His parables, this idea to engage the kingdom of God, to engage the kingdom of heaven. And not to do it the way some want to do it. For some people, they want to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And does this look cool when you walk like this? It doesn't really look cool, right? Nobody walks like that, right? It's not comfortable. It looks goofy. And the next time you, you have that image in your mind of someone trying to one foot in, one foot out, I want you to think of that kind of crazy kind of walk. Because God wants more than that. He wants followers of Jesus that are fully engaged, fully embracing His kingdom. And when we do that, we become very dangerous in the best kind of way. We become very infectious to people that are around us. And no longer do people say, ah, they're just a bunch of church people that just do an hour on Sunday morning, and it doesn't change their life, and it doesn't affect them, and they're still jerks at the restaurant, and they're, they're, they're still jerks at the basketball game, and they're still jerks at the, the, the community get-together. Start looking and saying, wow, there is something different about those people. Because it's not about me, and it's not about you. 
It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about furthering his kingdom. That's what the invitation is all about here. So what do we do with an invitation? If I were to invite all of you to come to the reveal pool party tonight, if you're in junior high or you're in senior high, and by the way, there is a reveal pool party tonight from 5 to 7 at Little Galilee, and the rain's going to stop, and it's going to be a great time, so come on out. But if I were to invite you to do that, you really have three options. And I think these options all symbolize something for, for followers of Jesus today, or even for people that aren't followers of Jesus People that are maybe exploring the faith or have questions about the faith or, or even are neutral to the faith. And the first thing you can do with any invitation is you can just ignore the invitation. You can just take the invitation and you can tear it in half. Or you can take the invitation, you can throw it in the garbage. You can take the invitation and say, I'm just too busy. I can't go down that road. And if we were all being honest, there's been a time in our life when we've been given an invitation to something, and that's exactly what we did. We didn't RSVP. We didn't send our regrets, we just kind of tossed it. We, we ignored the invitation for whatever reason. And I think that by ignoring the invitation, I think what that symbolizes is people today who flat out reject Jesus. Thanks but no thanks, I don't want any of your Jesus. Thanks but no thanks, I don't want any of your Christianity. I'm not interested. I'm not going down that road. If we were being honest with ourselves, we could probably all come up with at least one person in our world, in our life, maybe we know them well, maybe we don't know them well, but they're just not buying the faith whatsoever. It's just not there. It's not their thing. I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want to hear it. I think that's what ignoring the invitation symbolizes. The second thing you can do with an invitation, which is probably what we should do with invitations if we can at all do it, is we accept the invitation and we say, I'm so honored to be invited to your party. I'm so honored to, to be able to learn more about Pampered Chef or baskets or what, whatever's going on. It's awesome. I want to come. I want to learn more. And I think what that symbolizes is people that say, yes, I'm going to turn to Jesus. Yes, my heart is open to Jesus. Yes, I want to be all in. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Here I am. I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Hopefully, all of you have had a, a point in time where you have accepted the invitation to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And hear me loud and clear when I say this. If you have never accepted that invitation, you need to do it. And I would say do it today. I'd say do it this week. I'd say don't wait. It's the most important decision you will ever ever make. It's more important than who you'll marry. It's more important than things you'll buy like houses and cars. It's more important than your job. The most important decision a person ever makes is, will I follow Jesus or not? Will I be a Christ follower or not? So we've got the people that ignore. We've got the people that accept. And then there's people that are kind of in the middle. And it really comes out in this parable. And it's the people who make excuses. And I think in our world today, man, I think that is a defining number of people in my world and our world. They're the good intentions people. They're, they're, they're intrigued by Jesus. They're, they're intrigued by you, followers of Jesus Christ. And they say, you know, he is different. She is different. Their, their family does things different than our family does. And they say, we need to get to church, or we need to get back to church, or we need to be a part of the faith, and how awesome would it be if we could be like them? And yet something always kind of gets in the way. It always holds them back. They have always an excuse that keeps them from saying, I, I want to be 
fully engaged. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you know people like that in your world, if you have people like that in your world, don't ever, ever give up. Don't ever stop encouraging. Don't ever stop inviting. I think our Room for Doubt series could be a grand slam home run, not because of me, not because of the leadership of this church, not because of the 25 churches that are doing it, because I think it's a hot button issue for people that are in this area right here. I want to be a follower of Jesus, but why did my mom get cancer? I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I've been told the Bible's full of mistakes. I want to be a follower of Jesus, but science and the Bible seem to be in conflict, and, and, and I'm, I'm with science. Don't miss this opportunity to reach out and encourage and embrace. And so we talked about what's the great banquet about. It's an invitation, and we talked about what do you do with an invitation, and I want to share with you what I think is the most important part of this message and really what Jesus was trying to communicate in this parable. And I've just got two things here. And, and if you've not been paying attention or you're distracted or, you know, you've been on Facebook or whatever's going on, I just, for the next five minutes, just give me your attention because I want you to hear this. And number one is this. One consequence is the grace of God is an open invitation to all, but you must respond. The ball is in your court. That, that's the awesome thing about the new covenant. That's the awesome thing about Jesus. It was no longer about your birth. It was no longer about your heritage. It was no longer about your family tree. God's grace was open to all. We read the book of Acts, and the last two-thirds of the book of Acts is the story of Saul, who became Paul, and first he was with Barnabas, and then Silas, and Timothy, and Dr. Luke, and man, they took the gospel all over the world, and they preached to Gentiles, and they said, it is all about Jesus. And they had good times and they had bad times. There were times that people just celebrated and there were times that people tried to kill them. But it's a great picture of the grace of God being open to anyone and to everyone. I want you to think for just a moment of that person I asked you to think about earlier in the message. That person that's just, they're hostile toward the faith. That person, maybe they've mocked you because you're a follower of Jesus. They think it's the dumbest thing in the world that you're not sleeping in on Sunday morning, you're not going out to breakfast on Sunday morning, and that you give, you give to a church that all they ever ask for is money, all they ever talk about is money, and you're giving them money. Think about that person right now. It's not too late for them. God's grace is an open invitation to all, but here's the thing, I can't respond for them. You can't respond for them. The ball is literally in each person's court. It's no longer about race. It's all about grace. And it's never too late until it really is too late. If you have people in your world that are hostile toward the faith, don't ever stop praying for them. Don't ever stop encouraging them. Don't ever stop inviting them. Don't ever give up on them. Let them know it's never too late until it's too late. So that's number one. The grace of God is an open invitation. They must respond. But number two is this, and this hits a lot of us that have been around the church for a long time, if we're really being honest. Our God is a jealous God, and He will not settle for part or half of our heart. He won't do it. He, he won't settle for this. That's not happening. 
He wants it all. Understand, doing seemingly religious things is different than wholehearted commitment to the Lord. Just doing religious things isn't enough. Just being religious isn't enough. Now, first service, didn't know this at all, but I'm guessing some of you remember the group REM and and the song Losing My Religion, and you're all my age probably because we're old, and anyway, that's another story for another time, but um, I don't recommend that song. Don't go buy it on iTunes, but I, I do like the concept that I need to lose being religious. I need to get that thought out of my mind. It's not about being religious. It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for too many, we want to settle for the religious without the relationship. And it's all about a relationship. Don't settle for what I'm going to call $3 worth of God. Um, Christian author Wilbert Reese wrote this very short poem several years ago. I'd like to read it for you. He said, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep but just enough to equal a, warm, a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a person of another color or to pick beets with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy just $3 worth of God, please. I read that this week, and tears began to well up at the number of times, if I was being honest, that that's all I really wanted was $3 worth of God. That maybe upset with somebody, in conflict with somebody, just locked into the selfish desires of my heart. And I said, just give me enough of God to get by. Just give me $3 worth of God, please. See, the point is this, God wants all of your heart, every bit of your heart. And when you wholeheartedly sell out to Jesus Christ, you become dangerous. When you wholeheartedly accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we become infectious. And we're no longer just doing church, we're no longer just doing religious things. We're on the path to changing the world through Jesus Christ. And so my bottom line for you today, I thought about a lot of scriptures to leave you with. I want to leave you with a scripture from the wilderness wanderings. It's the end of the 40 years in the wilderness, and God's told Moses, write down the law a second time, and he gives Moses this proclamation, and Moses shares it with the people, and he said, but if you, the people, will seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. And man, God's people struggled with that all. They struggled with all my heart. They struggled with all my soul. And by the time Jesus rolled around, that's why Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't go to the Ten Commandments, but he said the greatest commandment is this. Remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. What was Jesus saying? We got to be all in. And so as we wrap up parable number three, I want to leave you with a question that only you can answer. Are you 
planning to come to the banquet. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the chance to be in your church, but we know that your church is more than a building. It's more than a program. It's more than a song. It's more than a sermon. Uh, We are your church. And we're called to be your church on Sunday mornings, and we're called to be your church on Monday mornings, and Friday nights, and Wednesday afternoons. And so, Father, when we get distracted by the stuff of this world, the the things of this world, the the helter-skelter lifestyles that so many of us have, help us to never settle for half-hearted. Help us to never settle for religious things. God, I want to be all in. I want us to be all in. I want us to change our world. I want us to change our community, not for our glory, but for your glory. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Every week we sing a song after the sermon, and some people call it an invitation. Some people say it's a commitment song. And um, if you're not all in for Jesus, um, maybe this song is just a reinforcement of what it means to sell out to Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I mean it. It's the most important decision you will make. And I'd love to talk with you about that now or after the service or later this week. Uh, If you want someone to pray with you, I'm up front and I'd be honored to pray with you at this time as we stand together and Sam and the team lead us our song of invitation.